now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Good evening, Southern California, and welcome to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. It is our pleasure to be with you this evening. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you tonight. Man, let me just give you a little rundown of exactly what's happening. Starting right out of the gate. Marty Guth, owner and operator of Guth Lo- Guth's Lodge out of the Iliamna, Bristol Bay of Alaska, is going to be with us. This is absolutely the prime fishing spot in Alaska. We're going to find out what's happening with Guth's Lodge right in the beginning here. And then along with our regular features, Phil Friedman and Captain James Nelson, Wendy is going to be calling in with us later on. She and her mom made a pilgrimage to the Manzanar region of the Sierras. You know, we have done several features on the Manzanar Fishing Club. But Wendy and her mom went back to the internment camp there, and we are going to get Wendy's recollections and feelings on how it was to go back there so many years afterwards. So that will happen at about 5.45 tonight. And then coming up at 6 o'clock, Pro Angler Todd Woods is going to be with us. Todd won the FLW Western Division Championship at Clear Lake last weekend, and we're going to get Todd's reminisce of that. So we got plenty of show. You know Wendy's going to be calling in later on. Let me introduce to you the other co-host of Rod and Reel Radio. He is the voice of 1-800-Bass Boat and a really good saltwater and freshwater fisherman in his own right, Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, how you doing this evening? I'm alive and well, John. Good evening, everybody. I'm excited to have the people we have on the show. It's going to be good. Nothing but good. It's going to be a good show. And, Stan, I was remiss in also announcing that later on towards the end of the show, given the time, you have an update on the opener, the trout opener at the Sierras. So everyone's going to want to stay tuned for that because, from what I hear, it wasn't a bad opener at all. No, no. We'll talk about that a little later. I can give the rundown. It's, it was pretty it was good. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Hey, Stan, let me let you introduce our in our listening audience to our first guest, if you will, please. Take I'll it away. I'd be happy to do that. I, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I was introduced to uh, Norm Goose of Goose Lodge, that is the father and, uh, of Marty Goose, who we have waiting here in the wings, and uh, we were... Uh, all in talking about, you know, Alaska and where to go, he said, come on up and check this place out that they have up there. 
the family was, uh, they used to work on the Snake River and in uh, on Idaho there as guides and moved their everything up to Alaska when Norm retired, and, and they've got a place up there that became my wife and I's favorite place in Alaska to go to because they offer everything, and he's a great guide and a great guy in his own right, a whole family full of guides, and we're proud to have with us Mr. Marty Goose. Welcome, Marty, to Rod Real Radio again, buddy. Oh, it's great to be here. You guys are fantastic. <laughs> Thank some you, Marty. Some say some don't, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Marty, we have such a rich tradition with Rod Real Radio and Goose Lodge. I've got to say right up here, not only has Stan and his wife been up there to be with you, but Big Tuna Bill and Trudy, it was also their pleasure to come up and visit with you. And Trudy and Bill had such great time up there and such great remembrances. And we want to give a shout-out to Trudy tonight because I know that she's listening and I know she's feeling very fond of the great times and memories she shared with you up there at Goose Lodge. But, you know, just quickly... Tell us a little bit about the lodge itself, how you started off, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. We, uh, like as was mentioned, we moved from Idaho to to Alaska uh, just kind of because it seemed like the right thing to do and uh, bought 160 acres on uh, uh, the Iliamna River, which is runs right into Iliamna Lake at the northeast end. Uh, when we were up looking for places, uh, of course you ask a lot of people and, and you talk to folks from the area and, and we had originally come up looking at a different piece of property that was suggested to us because it had a, a connection to the FAA reporting stations and, uh, and some different ideas about how we could work with that and in, in talking with the folks up here in Alaska and, and with the particular agent we were using, um, he said, no, no, this is where you want to be. Hands down, this is the best place as far as, uh, you, you know, fishing in the, in, in western Alaska, really in all of Alaska. And I, I couldn't argue with him when we went out and saw the place. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the fishing was fantastic. Had salt water fishing right out the back door. Everything we wanted. So, uh, you know, when you got an opportunity like that, you, you just about have to pull the trigger. And, and we did. And it's, you know, it's, none of these kind of things are terribly, are, are ever easy or, or terribly profitable. But, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, as been mentioned also, uh, our, our family tradition is something that's kind of got, I don't know, somewhere along the way of the bat, a recessive gene or something we all wound up with this guiding <laughs> addiction and uh and we've just kind of brought that forward into the into the current day uh, marty you know for our listeners that are not familiar with where the iliamna is or the bristol bay region uh, uh tell us what would be the path that an individual would take to get to goose lodge starting from the southern california area well, you'd, you'd probably jump off uh, at Anchorage. Anchorage is where the uh, airline hub is. And then we generally provide the flying out to Iliamna. Iliamna is, uh, is on the opposite side of Cook Inlet, well, the west side of Cook Inlet, uh, which is uh, another all 100, 120 miles east from, from Homer Kenai area on the Kenai Peninsula. I actually live in the winters in uh, in Kenai, and uh, and then well, of course we're out the lodge quite frequently, but uh, uh, we had to put kids in school and everything. And of course, uh, Iliamna is the Alaska bush. There's no roads connecting uh, to any of the highways that that service uh, Anchorage or any of the rest of Alaska. It's a flyout situation, and 
So, you know, kind of by necessity, we had to have both remote and urban uh, well, while my, my children were growing up. So um, Iliamna was the best place to fish, and then, of course, had to, had to get groceries and do everything else, and, and this was as close as we could get to that. So you're going to fly into Anchorage, and then from there we'll fly you south and west to Iliamna. It's about 130 or 140 miles from Anchorage to Pedro Bay, which is the closest airstrip to the lodge. I'll so, tell you what, it's, uh, when you fly into Anchorage, we always fly in and um, you land the, at the airport there. We stay at the Best Western, which is just right outside the airport, on the lake that all the float planes land on. So you can have uh, at the Millennium Hotel there, give them a little bump, because you can have halibut and chips there and, and watch the float planes fly over and, and land and take off. And then the next morning you go to the other airport, and, uh, and Marty and his crew will fly you in on uh, Lake Air. Um, to Ilion from from Anchorage, you go out the bay and hang a right, go over the top of the glaciers, which is spectacular uh, view, and then you land uh, right next to the largest lake in Alaska, Iliamna, and they come and pick you up in, in their jet boats and uh, take you across the north end of the lake and up the river about, what is it, half mile to the lodge or something like that? Yeah, that half, three-quarters of a mile. So so we're all alone out there, basically. Oh, there's there's some other cabins two or three miles up the river, but uh, uh, most of this is, uh, you know, you're pretty much out in the bush by yourself. The Indian village is left behind, oh, some six miles. And, and uh, so you really have a, you know, you've got that remote woodsy feeling when you get there. It's it's a ton of fun being on the 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 place has got eight, what is it eight rooms or ten rooms or something like that. that yeah, we've got eleven uh, eleven total of ten guest rooms. Yeah, um, oh. each room has its own you know bathroom and whatever else, and then they've got a living room and a, a mutual area for everybody to eat breakfast or lunch or dinner together. And, and the boats they've got a couple of boats sitting or three or four boats sitting there at, at the lodge on the river. So when you get there, they immediately you fly out in the morning, you get there before noon, and they say, here, put your stuff in the room and undo everything, put your waders on, grab a rod, make a sandwich, and get in the boat. <laughs> and off you go, up the river. Uh, and and it is some of the most fun fishing because I can tell you they offer everything. It's not like, okay, you're going to go to this lodge. It's on the ocean, and if the ocean's rough, you know, you're not going to go out, and you're only going to do one thing, you're going to troll. Well, that doesn't happen here. Um, you grab your fly rod or spinning rod, and the first thing you do is go up the river, and they float the river. Then in the afternoon, you catch Arctic char, rainbow trout, whatever salmon is available. Um, and and you're already started. You just got there, and you're fishing within the hour. After you get there, you're on the water and, and pulling on something, which is just incredibly unbelievable because there's no other footprints, by the way, where you're fishing. Um, there's nobody else up there but you. Uh, it's pretty fun, and and the nature that you see. I mean, it is sometimes a life changing experience. Because I mean, I have, I wish we had more time here. I, I had uh, a time where I sat there, thirty feet from me. I came in contact with a with a wolf, a timber wolf that that actually sat down on the on the sandbar next to me, and we had a talk for a couple of minutes, and then it popped the whole river and took off. But I was, I didn't get a picture of it. But everybody, my wife and my the guide. Useless with his camera. He <laughs> didn't get a picture of it. I had another situation where I was in a in the in a pond or a pool just up out of the ocean where I had a charge of of I don't know how many thousands of salmon came up this little creek or river 
and into this pool that I was standing on a rock in the middle of, and I thought it was about three-foot-high wall of salmon that came at me at speed when they came up and over this thing, and I thought, well, they're going to wash me off the rock. When they hit me, they just split up and went right around me, and I heard Bill yell, look out, Stan, it's a salmon tsunami. But that was one of the more unique experiences, both of those, of my life, and you can't get that sitting around in your chair here. Alaska is a phenomenal place, and you offer so much more to, to the average angler. You've got a boat that you can go halibut fishing. You've got planes to fly to Nushigak, and the ching, you've got the chingle gash to walk up. You can do a lot of other things. Talk about the other resources that you have. Well, it, it's really kind of three businesses in one. We do have the charter service out on the salt water. Uh, right now we're operating, operating that out of the deep creek. Uh, we do some work off the Ely on the side, but, uh, it gives us a, a little broader range on that. We, we can work late into mid August from, from the east side. So we'll fly out for that or we'll work from, uh, the west side like we always have. And, uh, then we go down to the Nushigak for kings and silvers. We'll do some, uh, pike fishing down there. There's, there is some, some, uh, trout fishing down there at the right time of the year. Uh, a lot to be developed on that end. Uh, and it is a camp. We have a cabin and some weatherport style tents there. Uh, little, little, little more rustic than the lodge. The lodge is just like home. You know, I, I, I get, I complain because now I actually have to go camping sometimes. I, I guess I got spoiled after all these years, but, uh, and then right there at the lodge, we, uh, as Stan mentioned, have the, the rainbow char up the river and the, the reds that come in right at the mouth of the river. You know, you're, you're, you're fishing, you know, largely by yourself. There are, there are three other lodges that will operate in the area, uh, but uh, we're all under the same native lease. It's just the three of us. So, you know, really, really remote. That's one of the things that, that makes this a neat vacation is that you're not uh, side to side with you know, hundreds of other fishermen and eating out of McDonald's, which, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what a lot of people think of when they think of the Kenai Peninsula. This is this is actually the antithesis of that. Well, Marty, it sounds like uh, either the lodge is in a fairly ro- remote location. So, let me get this so our listeners understand it. What they have to do is they have to get to Anchorage and they spend the night in Anchorage, and then after that. Their signing up with you is turnkey from that point on to the lodge and then to the end of their trip back to Anchorage. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, we take care of everything from there. After your night stay in Anchorage, we uh, we have a charter service, uh, Lake Clark Air, that will uh, that we uh, work with to to. And then, of course, that's all part of the price of the trip. We don't uh, we don't charge extra for all the little pieces, but. Uh, uh, they will pick you up and take you out the lake, and then from there, all your gear, uh, as far as your tackle, your terminal tackle rods and and reels and everything, we we can provide. Uh, you're welcome to bring your own. I'm not saying you have to use our equipment if you're, uh, you know, particular to your fly rod or or, or have a, a spinning reel that you'd really you've really grown to love. Why bring it along? Uh, and and everything else is pretty much uh, covered as far as. Uh, you know, your, your guide, your boats, uh, room and board, all of the flying, all of the boating, uh, the, the, the halibut charter, everything is included in the price of the trip. Now, some of the uh, uh, guests I, I can imagine want to bring some of their catch home. Tell us about what you do with regards to the preservation of that catch, whether it be freshwater fish, saltwater fish, and how easy is it uh, to get to take back home with them? 
most people will do that as uh, of course things got a little more difficult for a while but i think we're back to where uh the airlines will include luggage uh you know in the flight so uh, what most people will do make up a, either one or two fish boxes of 45 to 50 pounds we'll freeze the fish uh process it uh, fillet it uh package it in vacuum bags and then uh give you a a box a fish a, a box that's uh, capable of passing through you know of course all of the things you need to do to use it to, to put it on the airlines and and then you can you can put it uh, with your luggage and go home if you don't want to do that we have a fedex account uh that will work with uh, with you to get the fish back to the to the care to the shipper and then you can ship it home fedex that i do have to charge a little extra for because it's not uh, a service we have right there in the lodge but the uh as far as 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 processing and freezing and boxing and everything to just take it home with you as luggage we uh, we do that you know and uh, by the time everyone comes back to the lodge after the end of a long day because the days are a little longer in your part of the world uh, do they have yeah. uh, denny moore's beef stew and saltine crackers to look forward to in the evening <laughs> no no my my good wife who's uh, who's been involved in food service for uh, the better part of 30 years is uh, is the chef there and it's family style food but we'll do uh marinated prime rib uh, chicken enchiladas uh gosh i have to think about the meal meals because they you know we're we're in the process of making up new uh new things as we go so uh, uh different dishes uh chicken cordon bleu for one night oh man i i, I i'll well, get myself in trouble if i get if i get too carried away here with the <laughs> menu because then she'll feel locked in but uh you know shrimp and steak that kind of thing it's uh it, it, and all you can eat i mean this is not just gourmet serve gourmet and then uh, and then you go home you go to bed hungry we uh we do it family style and it's all you can eat and yeah. and uh usually usually a guy can gain some weight I don't Marty, have problems with that myself. Marty, we're just uh, scratching the surface on all the amenities that Guth Lodge uh, offers. But if people want to find out more about Guth's Lodge, uh, book uh, a trip with you or to get in contact with you to maybe ask more about uh, you know what they can do and how they can fit their schedule to meet your schedule, how's the best way to do it? Best way to get online and go to www.guthslodge, G-U-T-H-S-L-O-D-G-E dot com. You can also call me on our business line, 907-262-2392. We're in the process of getting an 800 number, but I don't have that quite yet. So uh, here in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll have that uh, nailed down, and I'll pass that along to Stan. He can, uh, he can get with you guys if you, if you want to try the, the 800 number. You can also get a, get a hold of him on Facebook. Yeah. Yes, Facebook, and- uh, Goose Lodge. And Stan, Goose Lodge has the Stan Vandenberg seal of approval. It, it has my wife's and my seal of approval. It's one of the most fun places you can ever go to, and if you've never been, Alaska, Alaska is one of the most majestic places in the world, and you will love it. Period. You know, if, if you can get a fisherman's wife seal of approval, Marty, it's got to be an outstanding operation. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and Margaret is one whale of a good fisherman. It's a good thing Stan's ego is so fully intact because I have seen <laughs> Margaret's ability. <laughs> Marty Guth, owner-operator of Goose Lodge. Marty, thanks for being with us, uh, and we look forward to coming up there and visiting with you again and starting a new batch of memories for uh, uh, our visits uh, from Rod and Reel Radio. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. 
Oh, my pleasure, John, and uh, thank you, Stan. You're welcome, Marty. We'll talk to you later, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, Stan and I have to take a break right now, but coming up next, Phil Friedman and Captain James Nelson. Stay tuned. Still lots more Ron Real Radio to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has a new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag. Quantum Fishing, we are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Real Radio Line. <laughs> <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. 
And welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. Stan Vandenberg's with me tonight. Wendy Toshihara is on her way back from the Manzanarari of the Sierras. She and her mom made a pilgrimage up to the Manzanarari where there was a Japanese internment camp during World War II. Her mom was in that camp, and they went through it. And Wendy's going to be with us later on to talk about just exactly how that trip went. So we're moving the show around a little bit, and we're bringing aboard right now the fish icon himself with the Southern California Inshore Report, Captain James Nelson. Captain James, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, John. I hope you guys are doing well, and I can't wait to hear Wendy's report. I mean, that's that's a... You know, as you know, as as much as that's a stain in history, it's a beautiful place to visit. There's there's so much. Uh, there's something about it that I I'll let her do her report. But I'll tell you, you know, just coming in as an outsider, a kid who was born in 1969, and having been there and seen it, it's just it's amazing the what you feel when you're there. Well, you know, Rod Real Radio did several shows on the Manzanar Fishing Club, which was a group of uh, of the interned uh, Japanese that were there that would sneak out of the camp and go fishing. And they kind of had, had a fishing organization. And, Stan, I know you were also asked to become an honorary member of the club, too. Well, yeah, I, I was contacted by the guys there, Corey, uh, Shizaku, and, and a couple of the other guys, Richard, and some of the guys were trying to put it together. And they needed to get insurance to put their films into the the uh, different theaters and get ready to go. So they called me at, at last minute because they didn't know what they had to do, and I facilitated all that stuff for them. And working with Corey and the guys, I was very honored. I mean, I really I'm like James, you know. If you I've been traveling the Sierras all my life, and going through or past Manzanar is one thing. When you go in and out of Manzanar, whole different story. When you know the whole story and. Um, uh, it was just a true honor for me, and then Corey said at the end, he goes, we'd like to make you a you know a full-on member of the Manzanar Fishing Club. And I went, wow, I'm honored to be a part. So it's all good, but that if you've never seen the film, it's very, very interesting and enlightening about the way that they took what they had, and they all uh, there was a group of them that went out fishing and came back. I mean, it, it, there's more to it than meets the eye, but then I'm anxious to hear what, um, what uh, Wendy has to say with her mom. Oh, you bet. But, uh, hey, Jim, let's just get on to what's been happening with you. What a, a variety of different weather patterns we had this past week. How did it affect what you were doing? Well, you know, for the most part, not a whole lot, except the, the fact that all my trips seemed to be booked during the, the heavy part of the weather. You know, I had I had days where I was actually homebound, getting stuff done inside, and of course the weather's beautiful. And the day they hit the water, we get rained on. Like, What's going on here? <laughs> well, I also noticed that uh, this past week you were able to get in another freshwater trip in between in between the saltwater trips you made. Yeah, absolutely. And tomorrow I'm in the bay. Today we went off the point. Yesterday we we're on the lake. So it's kind of funny. I'm just they've got me hopping all over the place. So, well, you what know, you, 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 you kind of do a little thing on where's Captain James today? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, uh, first of all, tell us what lake did you go to and how did you find the conditions there? Uh, we went to Otai and it was wet. <laughs> I mean, it, it. Yes, we got rained on, but I mean, the water itself at Otai is really high, and it's a really wet place. There is a little bit of uh, moss starting to grow up, so 
that's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But it's right next to the, the edge of the Thule's, and you get away from it a little bit, and the visibility there. John, if we had had a, a, a nice, sunny, well-lit sky yesterday, we could have seen down 16, 17 feet. I mean, the water is that clear. No kidding. Yeah, even with overcast, we were still able to see, you know, a good 11, 11 and a half feet down with, with decent detail. So you can imagine if it was bright and sunny, how much more detail we would have seen. Oh, man. And you caught fish. Caught some fish. You know, uh, first fish was on a little TD minnow, a little reaction bait. There's a, they're in the, the three stages of spawn I like. You know, there's still some some fish that are uh, real skittish just now making beds. There's fish that are on beds, locked on, and, and then there's post-spawn fish that are guarding the fry. So it's a really fun condition to see that. And then you've got the other parts of the lake developing. You've got crappie that are moved up, big bluegill that have moved up, uh, you know, a little bit smaller than hand-sized bluegill that are moved up. So this just it's going to explode at any moment as long as we get this weather pattern to just hold. I mean, you'll start seeing big strings and buckets of bluegill and catfish and not to mention, of course, the bass fishermen that love it there. <laughs> now, in, in the bay right now, uh, uh, what seems to be biting uh, in our bays? And then did you have a chance to go uh, outside of the bay at all? Yeah, we went outside the bay today, got a, a short link cod, got, um, got some waves. I mean, it was a pretty bumpy lumpy, so the guys that we started out uh, just off the point, we could see the pelagic fish on the graph, we could see evidence of them, but just could not get them to go right now. Uh, we were out the Whistler area, and it just seemed, you know, the water was, uh, was 63 degrees and a little bit off-colored, and I think that's probably turned off the pelagic fish, but the rockfish were willing to bite, but the ocean wasn't willing to have us, so we came in the bay and uh, got into some fish there. Um, had a really nice halibut just come off right right next to the boat. It never had the hook in its mouth. It just held on to the bait. And uh, the guy that had him on dropped his bait down. I said, drop it back down and see what happens. And he hit it again and still didn't get the hook. It was pretty uh, pretty fun, but disturbing <laughs> at the same time, you know, when you're watching all that happen. And it's just pretty, it was pretty neat. It was one of those things that, you know, you'll remember seeing. You know, uh, Captain Jimmy, you know, from time to time, uh, I have a chance to go out with you with my good friend, uh, Dr. Jim Harold, and uh, Dr. Jim loves eating fish, but it seems like his very most favorite fish is sculpin. And if you have fishermen that come that want to go out for sculpin, you kind of have a place that you like to take people to go fish sculpin. Now, is there any way different that you fish for sculpin than you do any other bottom fish? Um, not really, but, uh, for whatever reason, it seems, you know, sculpin, sculpin can be really weird sometimes. They'll eat anything that crawl swims or once did, and then other times, uh, you really need to jig them up. So there's, there's times that are, if I know that we're on a sculpin spot and we just cannot get them to go on anything, uh, uh, normal, like either our, our regular bait, squid, uh, shrimp, or, even sardines or whatever, and they're just, for whatever reason, just locked out on that. Sometimes you can just jig a spoon up and down, just keep jigging it until you finally get one to snag on. So you find that they'll eat spoons better than they will plastic and uh, or other baits like that? Uh, well, when they're not biting anything else, you could always jig them with a spoon. But, you know, you know sculpin, John, and you know they love their squid, they love crabs. 
you know, and those. those they like a red, chunk of something. Yeah. I'm sorry? So they like a chunk of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they really do like it, like a chunk of meat. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we catch them and they're coughing up octopus. Uh, we had uh, lean cod we caught today coughed up a huge sand uh, crab. I mean, it's just, it was just, I thought it was a cephalopod, and then when I saw it, picked it up, it was actually a, a big sand crab that had an egg sac it was holding on to. So it was kind of interesting. Now, These fish, you know, they'll eat anything. How, how deep of water are you fishing where you find sand crabs? Well, that was funny, John. We were in 120 feet, so that just seems really like a strange area. But I don't know. I'm, I've never seen a sand crab myself. You know, <laughs> I'm not a diver, but I mean, it's the first time I've seen it. But I don't know if that guy went up shallow and ate it and then coughed it up when we caught him. I don't know. It was weird. Wow. He was probably just eating on the surf just before and was full and came back and thought maybe there's a little bit more room and ate something else. Yeah, you never know, Stan. I mean, like I said, it's, I'm not done learning. You know, that's the great thing about this. I'll be doing this for a long time because I haven't learned everything yet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, you know, Jim, the thing that I'm uh, uh, always interested in, too, is, uh, you know, and even I get this mindset that, uh, you know, you're, uh, you, you, know, you are a professional guide and uh, especially a professional saltwater guide, uh, but... Uh, uh, and you have your license, and, and some people think, well, they're the only ones that have a license out there, and you have actually had a license for, what, 10 years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what's funny is, uh, well, what's really strange is the, the California DFW, and you and I have had these conversations, and I know we've had uh, folks on the radio show and gone back and forth. I mean, there's, it, it's, exactly how they do things changes depending on who you talk to. But it's, you know, when I first started guiding, I was told that in the Bay I didn't need a captain's license. That was only for offshore. And then I found out, you know, you do need a captain's license. And then they say, well, if you got a captain's license and your boat is registered with the fishing game, then you don't need a guide license. And then they say, well, yeah, you do need a guide license. You know, and since I fish freshwater, I know I need a guide license. So it's really funny. So I can't blame anybody who's uh, either just starting out or even been doing it a while who can't get a straight answer because trying to get one from the fish and game sometimes is, uh, again, there's so many different jurisdictions, and even within themselves, they have different officers and different, um, different uh, not, not necessarily officers, but just a whole different jurisdiction for what they call warm water, which is actually fresh water versus marine which is the saltwater side. So it's just really, you know, trying to get an answer from one side when you're asking a question that should be asked of somebody on the other side. And it's just, it's really funny. So <laughs> what can you say? You know, uh, also, uh, Jim, I noticed that as a, a professional guide that is recognized by the, you know, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, everyone that goes out with you, you document that trip and not only that, you are insured by uh, under a, a special uh, commercial license that I think Stan provides for you to make sure that people not only that are going out with you have a fun time, but they have a safe time too. Yeah, absolutely, uh, John. I mean, I know Stan can tell you more about the policy itself. I, I just write the checks, but, <laughs> 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 but it, it's funny because. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to have a bond, first of all, to get your guide right. That in itself, but that's more of a surety bond. That just tells the customer you're going to show up when you said you are. And then, uh, but then you also, uh, as a business itself, should have some type of commercial liability, and it's different with fishing than it would be, say, if you had a donut shop. So it's, it's a whole different uh, set of stuff that you need to have. And, and I know for a long time guys were telling me, well, you know, you got more than you need for this, that, or the other, but, you know, I'm a... I'm going to wear a belt and suspenders at the same time when it comes to my business. And that's not just, you know, to protect me, but to protect customers and just to make sure that everything runs smoothly and we're not stepping on anybody's toes or jurisdictions that we should be. You know, then our Jim, uh, is it pretty safe to, to say then that if someone does go out on a guided trip for freshwater, saltwater, that they, you know, ask that if they are number one, a you know, a recognized guide. Number two, if they're bonded. Number three, if they're insured. Because I'm sure, like in any other business, whether it's a contractor or whatever else, there are some people who take some shortcuts and are not doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Always ask, and you know, and I I carry a big binder. I have to just to have everything all in order. And there's times where you know I may have something, a piece of paper that isn't in my binder where it should be that I. So I have to make sure everything's all nice and organized and neat. Uh, you never know when the Coast Guard's going to want to board the boat and take a look at things. So I always make sure that everything's in order, uh, registration, my, all my licenses, bond certificates, insurance certificates. And I have to have it all in one place because I know myself. I'm, I'm, I'm a quite a clutterer if I don't put everything in the right spot first time. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, Jim and I have been working for, together for a, a while here, and, I, and I'm and i the first one, if he has a problem, I jump in with both feet, too, but I can tell you this. He does a, a first-class operation. He makes sure that all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, and, and he's got coverage for where he needs to go and what he needs to do. And not all of the people in that are guiding or on the water, let's just put it that way, do that, especially in San Diego when you turn – just a little southeast, and you're in Mexican waters, now you're outside the territorial United States, there's all kinds of problems that can happen. And I know more than one that went down there and had a malfunction that they thought they were cured or, or covered for, and, and it wasn't. But Jimmy is is very aware of what he's done and what he's doing, and he, he's got what he needs to take care of his passengers and the people that travel with him. I'll just go that far. Well, I can't ask for a better recommendation than that. So, <laughs> Captain James, if someone wants to get a hold of you, find out what your schedule is, schedule a freshwater or a saltwater trip, how's the best way to go about doing it? Well, you can always reach me uh, online at thefishicon.com. And as you know, John, uh, several of the shops, including yours, also have my info. So if you're in a tackle shop and have a question, just ask. And... Uh, on the website, too, of uh, Ron Real Radio. I think there's still a link up there. And if none of that gets a hold of me, call. I've got my phone in my pocket. <laughs> 619-395-0799. Captain James, always great to have you aboard. And it sounds like the fishing is, is still red hot off of our local coast over here. We appreciate you spending some of your Sunday with us. I look forward to talking to you during the week and then again next Sunday night on Rod and Reel Radio. Thanks a lot, guy. Always a pleasure, John, Stan. Thanks, guys. Say hi to Wendy for me, and we'll talk to you guys next week. 
All, All right. right, James. Take care. We will do that. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. Stan Vandenberg's with me. Hopefully, we'll be able to make contact with Wendy Toshihara when we get back. You're listening to Ron Real Radio on AM540 or at ronrealradio.com. Stay tuned. Still a lot more show to come. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics. McCoy Line, Spro Products, Gamakatsu Hooks, G. Loomis Fishing Rods, Shimano Products, Ovid Reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My Angler H2O. I will scent my lure with pride. And hope my boss doesn't notice the tan. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed sunken boats and outlast the hard-fighting largemouth bass. I will save water at home for better fishing out here and always Always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. And we do want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. You know, during World War II, our government saw fit to take a group of Americans of Japanese uh, heritage and and turn them into camps all throughout the Southwest. One of those camps was in Manzanar. And over the years, Rod and Reel Radio has had uh, uh, interviews with individuals that were part of what they called the Manzanar Fishing Club, which was one of the internment camps up in the Sierras. And it's kind of the lighter side of the camp, but at the same time, we have to remember that Japanese-American citizens were still held in camps against their will. Well, it turns out that Wendy Toshihara made a trip to Manzanar here this past week, and we have her online right now to tell us some of the details of that trip and why it was so special to her. So, Wendy, we want to welcome you to Ron Real Radio. How's it going? Oh, great. Thank you for having me and for letting me stay on for just this short period. Um, but, uh, 
It was great. It was very rewarding. My mom was interned in Manzanar um, when she was in about 10 years old. And my dad was interned in Minidoka in, in Utah. When all the Japanese citizens um, or uh, of uh, Japanese descent had to be um, incarcerated in these internment camps. And it was really neat because our, our parents never spoke about it. And we finally, after, you know, 63 years, my mom has finally returned to Manzanar. So wow. it was really, it, yeah, it was, a, it was amazing. It was really neat to see that they recreated some of the barracks. They recreated the mess hall. They, recre- they, they have a, um, an interpretation center with a lot of artifacts from there. My mom and her sisters and her dad, my grandpa, are up on the wall. Their names are listed. All the internees, their names are listed on a wall. And they had the high school yearbook in there, and they had my mom's photo in there. And my mom went and, and was taking us through the barracks. And, and, and she would recall, you know, well, this is the mess hall. The kitchen was on the left, and the tables were to the right, and this is what we did. And, I mean, it was, it, it was just like she remembered. Wow. How emotional of an experience were, were these for your family members? Because, you know, in, you know, in the sunglasses that we are wearing today, we look at this as, as being something that was a very grievous wrong. But back at that time, you know, it was a whole different thing. So, you know, go through us on the emotions that your family uh, experienced as they were approaching going to Manzanar, and then when they were actually there, Wendy? You know, she didn't know what to expect. She had no idea what it was like, except for I said there was an interpretation center. But she was really looking forward to seeing it and, and hopefully seeing people and recognizing people that she knew. She was one of the younger ones, um, and a lot of, and she's 84 years old. And mm. so a lot of the older people that were there they've all passed on. So she's one of the, you know, there's not very many of them that are still alive. And so when she, when she got there, she was just like a kid in a candy store, wide-eyed and just wanted to go see everything and touch everything. Um, she, she, she was full of emotion. She was, she was upset that they would call the, the barracks apartments, you know, and she, she, you know, voiced her, her mind. And, um, and a girl. They, yeah, well, yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, she, you know, but, but she got a lot out. And, and even today, we're all still talking about it and, and going through what they went through and what she's remembering. And, and um, they, there was an orphanage there. And in the orphanages in Los Angeles, there were children that were of Japanese descent. Well, so they got those orphans, and they, they put them in Manzanar. Wow. And so, so Manzanar had an orphanage, and there, was a, there were 101 children in this orphanage. And, you know, no, nobody knew. They, you know, and so my mom listened to, um, to a lady who wrote about the, um, the orphanage, Dr. Kathy Irwin, today, and so she was really fascinated by that. But uh, she's, you know, very emotional. But uh, but it's it's not um, it's not sad to her really. It's more she's just remembering right now. I think she, you know, maybe later she might get a little, you know, angry about it. But she's just she was a kid. 
Were there uh, were there any references made? Because again, Ron Real Radio has had the the folks on that produce the uh, Manzanar Fishing Club uh, uh, video. But were there any references made to the activities there, and any reference made to the the people that would actually sneak out of the camp to go fishing? Well, you know, Corey and Richard were there, um, and they have their video in the bookstore. Okay. Um, and and so uh, before we went to Manzanar, Friday night we arrived, and I played the video of Corey um, from barbed wire to barb hooks for my mom, my brother, and everybody. Haven't and they, they were seen like, it wow. before, Wendy? They'd never seen it before. Really? Wow, yeah. what'd they think? i got to know. And, and, and they thought it was great. They had no idea that these guys were going all the way up into the mountains. And one guy spent a week in the mountains, you know. So, oh, yeah. they, you know, they, they were just, they were in awe. And then so they got to meet Corey and Richard. And, you know, they took pictures with them and stuff. So that was pretty neat. There's, there's a lot of stuff, untold stories, that they're trying to, to bring to light. And so every year they, um, they do this pilgrimage. This was the 47th annual pilgrimage. And... So they and they build something er, new every year. So next year, they're building the women's bathroom. Well, in all these barracks, there are 36 barracks, and they're very far apart from each other. And none of them had restrooms. There's only one restroom, and they had to walk in the freezing snow. In the in the you know this is the desert over here. It's either freezing cold or it's windy and you know and dusty and sand you know sandstorms. And if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you had to go to this, to this uh, latrine that had five holes in it, no walls, and you, went, you had no privacy, and you had to go to the bathroom there. So they're going to build that next year so people can see that. Wow. wow. You know, uh, what, uh, what was the feeling of, uh, that your mom had? Uh, was, was it like uh, a disdain when she was there, or was it like a fond remembrance because of seeing all the people that were there and a lot of the items that, that were there. You know, as a 10-year-old, obviously, you look at the world differently than you do as an adult. But uh, she must have had, uh, you know, some emotion with being there. You know, she she was, um, she, she was uh, very active there as far as being a kid and playing sports. They played volleyball. They played basketball. They had a basketball hoop up there, so... <clears throat> She grabbed the basketball. We took pictures of her with the basketball, you know. But um, she wasn't. She wasn't angry. She she was just remembering. And is this a is this a trip that you think that if she gets the opportunity, she might want to go back again and see how it's evolved and and how this place is being portrayed as a remembrance of that part of our history. Yes, um, I asked her. I go, would you come back? And my cousin, Jackie, she couldn't make it, and, and she really wanted to come. But, so she says, I'm coming next year. So we're all going to come back next year and bring my other cousins and so they could see you know, what, what um, their mother went through and their grandfather went through. And their well, it's aunt- really a part of your history. Oh, yeah. It's a huge part of our history. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to um, – they're, they're, they're trying to let people know that what we went through was wrong and it was against our constitutional mm-hmm. rights, and they're comparing it to the Muslims now where people want to put them in concentration camps. 
And so they've actually have some sort of alliance and they're working with the Muslims, you know, to, cause, you know, just like us, everybody thought because we, we, had, we were Japanese and quote unquote Japs and we had slanted eyes and they called us monkeys and, you know, we weren't bad people. We weren't evil. Not at and, all. And that goes, and that goes with the Muslims too. I mean, there's good and there's bad in everyone. When do you, so what are your mom's remembrances of the day that they were released from there and getting back together with their family? Because it sounds like the family was split up in different regions. It was really tough, especially for people um, who had to leave everything. You can only come with what you could carry. And so they lost all their businesses. They lost all their belongings, all their cars, their stoves, their washers and dryers, their, you know, their their photos and clothing, you know. And, And after they got out of camp, they... They gave our government gave them twenty five dollars. Go, you know, go live your life on twenty five dollars. Go, you know, find a bus ticket and go end up somewhere for twenty with twenty five dollars. That's what they had to do. I'm going yeah. to imagine that there were a lot of people there that had been Americans for many generations, and they had absolutely no idea what it was to be Japanese because of the fact they grew up in America and they. You know, they knew America, and now all of a sudden, kapow, they're thrown into the situation. It it had to be tough. Yeah, it was tough, especially for the Japanese from Japan, because they made them sign a piece of paper that um, that you would pledge your allegiance to the United States and not to Japan. But, you know, they're, of, they're from Japan, and so they didn't understand. And so if you didn't sign this piece of paper, they shipped you off to Thule Lake. Which is, you know, which is a desolate place, also. So you got shipped off somewhere else and separated from everybody that you knew. Wow. Well, Wendy, it is just one heck of a story, and uh, I can't tell you how uh, much we appreciate you sharing it with us because it's it's gonna kind of be tough as as a descendant of all of the people that all this stuff happened to. You know, what are your feelings? You know, um, I've been here before, and I've always wanted my mom to come here. And I learned a lot from here, but it's my feelings are I, I, I'm proud of the way the Japanese conducted themselves and were, you know, um, just had so much pride, and, and they were so resilient. And how, how, I mean, look at my mom today. I mean, she's, she's, she, she's a great person, you know, and so, you know, I'm... I'm I'm proud of what what they overcame. Right. If you go to uh, visit Wendy Toshar on Facebook, she has a lot of posts with her mom. And indeed, I I see from the way her mom has conducted her life, it isn't as a victim, but it's uh, as a survivor and a person that is carrying on with her life and enjoying the benefits of of the citizens of the United States. I. I, I, Wendy, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. Oh, I thank you. And if you guys get the chance, go to the Interpretation Center. It's it's great. Uh, you know, her, i got to tell you, her mom is the comeback kid. <laughs> <laughs> she really sure. is. I, I've, I've had some dealings with her mom. And, and I've known Wendy for, God, I don't know, 20 years now. We've been friends. And uh, I have nothing but admiration for her and what she's done and, and the help for our show, too. Um, it, 
and and I'm honored to be a part of you know working with Corey and Richard to get the the show that they did on on air. And it's been nothing but a great ride. I can't thank you enough, Win. Yeah, Wendy. Oh, I thank you. Hey, Wendy, thanks a lot, and watch out for those hitchhikers on your way home, will you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I will, and I'll, I'll tell you the stories later. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's Wendy Toshahara. She's on her way back from the Manzanar area of uh, the Sierras. Hey, and you are listening to Rod and Real Radio. That's it for the first hour of the show. Still a lot more Rod and Real Radio come up. Schedule next. Bad Daddy Todd Wood is going to be with us, so stay tuned. We still have a lot more information and a lot more fun to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks no matter what you're hauling or towing for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert now get special savings on every f-series truck in stock 150s 250s 350s at el cajon ford we have commercial trucks too including the all-new transit connect finally a commercial van with great mileage helping your business get moving again el cajon ford worth the short drive from anywhere in southern california broadway and east main and el cajon or online anytime anywhere at el H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. My Angler H2O. I will never use that fakey fluorescent pink bait or drag my hula popper through the mud. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed stumps, rocks, and submerged station wagons and outsmart the ravenous river otter. I will save water by taking shorter showers for higher lakes, and I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take it, kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. 
El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Hey, we want to welcome you back to the second hour of Ron Real Radio. Hey, Stan and I are pleased to introduce our listening audience to our next guest. You know, a lot of times we bring on guys and we call them pro-angler or enthusiast or whatever it is, but I think before... He, the title of pro angler, he probably likes to have professional firefighter put in front of his name. And pro angler after that, a good friend of ours, uh, uh, not only that, but a guy that both Stan and I have fished with many times. He is the 2016 FLW Western Division champion for Clear Lake, Mr. Todd Wood. Todd, welcome to Ron Real Radio. Hey, thanks for calling. This is going to be interesting because uh, we just we just got a call, a vehicle into a structure, and I'm going to make an attempt to uh, multitask here. So uh, we'll see what happens. Don't hurt yourself, Todd. Uh, we'll be all right. It's the life of a firefighter. Todd, you uh, have been uh, probably sitting around the uh, fire station uh, uh, on Sunday uh uh, just uh, doing your regular chores, and as soon as you, uh, you get on Rod and Reel Radio, wham, the alarm goes off. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually the second call. We just not the second call today, but we just got a call about uh, thirty minutes ago uh, at a uh, skilled nursing facility, and uh, I thought, oh, perfect, because we all we normally don't get a lot of calls, and uh-huh. so uh, it's uh, I mean, couldn't time any worse. I did a uh, uh, early interview at uh, five o'clock in the morning on another show, and uh, <laughs> did, you tell, did you tell Kent we said hi? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, get you guys all mixed up and everything. But yeah, I did say hello. <laughs> hey, well, what, Todd? First of all, you know, let's let's just start off. Uh, We've known you for a long time. Stan and I have fished with you. Uh, but tell us about how you came up through the ranks in fishing, and how did you mix that up with your career as a firefighter? Well, you know what's crazy is uh, my dad got me started with this whole uh, fishing thing. And uh, we grew up in uh, South Central L.A., and uh, my dad wanted to keep us off the street, so he was an RTD bus driver. I don't know if you remember the uh, old Rapid Transit District. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. he's been around for years. But, uh, yeah, he was a driver, and he had a friend that uh, decided to, uh, you know, he decided he wanted to do something different. So they, they took us fishing. And uh, as you can say, I got hooked. But what was really uh, really crazy about the situation is the fact that uh, he'd wake me up early in the morning and say, hey, you want to go fishing? And I couldn't get my clothes on fast enough. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, just imagine that. So he said, uh that that's an exercise that has come into good use now. I can assume. <laughs> well, exactly, and that's exactly what he said. At another date, he said, "Hey, uh, maybe you ought to consider consider being a firefighter." You know, because you put your clothes on so fast, and so the two and two go hand in hand. I only work about two days a month with a twenty-four hour shift. You know, basically, he gives me twenty days to fit if I say two. All right, uh, Todd, you're breaking up a little bit, and uh, Stan, I've got uh, a picture of Todd uh, jumping into uh, 
uh, a big red shiny vehicle and about ready to take off. Well, you know, that's his job when he's not, you know, making a cast and trying to win some money. So, but you got to respect both sides of that because I've fished against Todd in and around the arenas, and he's he's a consummate pro. And I got to tell you, he's he's well loved by the guys that fish uh, in the arena. Uh, he and I were fishing against each other in in the U.S. Open, and uh, we were over in Echo Bay um, when we when we launched in the morning, and and we're pre-fishing for the tournaments and coming back in. I didn't do it worth a anything out there. I don't think he did anyhow. We were both commiserating with each other about how the fish weren't cooperating but uh, and trying to figure out what to do from from there. So it's just part of the sport where you're involved with the guys that you fish with and there's a lot of respect from the the guys that you're fishing against because it's a small fraternity of men that actually can fish in that professional arena and compete. And uh, some of them have to stay close to home. Some of them can compete you know, on, a, on a more national level, depending on the monetary situation and how much their wives will let them go. Well, Stan, <laughs> so, let's uh, see if we still have I'm Todd here, with I'm us. I'm here if you guys are there. I'm back. Uh, we got counseled on the vehicle. And stuff All right. And also, uh, yeah, so let's try this again. So uh, I don't know what how much the, uh, you heard of me, but basically what I was saying is uh, – my dad, uh, he decided to take us fishing, and uh, you know, one day he says, "You know, I, I'm up so early. You know, when he when he gave us that opportunity and put my clothes on so fast, he said, hey, you should be a firefighter.' I said, <laughs> "Hey, well, that makes sense. So it works out perfect because uh, you know, I get I work ten days a month, but they're twenty four hour shifts, and I'm off twenty days to uh, go fishing if I choose. You know, oh, what I'm that's saying? great. Tell us about how you got in." Uh, Involved in in tournament fishing because that's a that's a little higher level than the just going out and soaking a worm in a in a local pond. Yeah, well, my first tournament that I ever fished, uh, well, actually, that I was was, was able able a part of was there was a club by the name of San Gabriel uh, Valley Bass Club, and then there was an Orange County Bass Club, and uh, I it was a neighbor down the street that would uh, have his bass boat out, and I was intrigued by it, you know, so I would go by and. Uh, visit him and one day they invited me to a uh, club tournament at lake mojave and uh, uh i w- i managed to catch a bunch of fish from the shore but i was just just impressed by you know them weighing their fish in and showing different people how they uh you know compete to catch these fish and actually win trophies i didn't really care about the money i wanted the trophy you know because yeah. uh, you know we love getting trophies whether it's in baseball football or you know uh, it's all about winning right that's Having it fun, of course <laughs> well, well, tell us then. You know, let's uh, kind of skip forward over here to uh, to fishing the FLW. Uh, how did you get involved in fishing that? And then, especially this latest tournament at Clear Lake, being a well, Southern let's California back. Let's guy. Let's go back. And how long have you been in the professional ranks, Todd? Because you you go I, back been, a ways we do too. I've been fishing bass tournaments since uh, the U.S. Bass days uh, of the. Uh, uh, days when John Murray won a tournament at Lake, uh, I believe it was Lake Roosevelt in about yep. uh, 1987, somewhere around there. And uh, a guy by the name of uh, Dave Brittenham uh, was a, uh, a family friend. Uh, he owned an agency, and uh, he got me involved. And I went as his non-boater, you know, for years and years and years. Uh, back then, we didn't... Uh, there was this. It wasn't a pro am. It was pro on pro. Everybody kind of competed against each other. But uh, if you didn't have a boat, you could just draw as a uh, non-boater. If you, if everybody had a boat, uh, you would flip a coin and see who took uh, whose boat. So you know, 
I've been around, you know, with Gary Klein and uh, Dave Gleavy and, you know, uh, a lot of the guys from uh, Don Payne from the uh, from the old uh, old school fishing and, uh, you know, even uh, even competed against Rick Klein a couple times when he fished the U.S. Open and, uh, and won it twice, actually. Uh, but that's how I got started. I, and then I started fishing Redman tournaments, which was an individual uh, tournament also. $75 was the entry fee. You see, if you won first place, you won about a thousand to two thousand dollars. I fished the Colorado River uh, Division, and I won a couple of those. I won one, I think, around uh, 1996 and uh, 1994, somewhere around there. Uh, and uh, you know, I just kept kind of moving up in the ranks. Uh, I wasn't really w- willing to give up my day job, so I just kind of kept fishing the local stuff. And uh, you were smart. West Coast tournament. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I-, I got a great retirement, so I'm looking forward to that. But. Uh, uh, and, and who knows, you know, if, if, if I keep winning at this age, uh, I plan on retiring in about three to four years. Uh, maybe I'll fish a tour somewhere, you know. We'll see what happens. Well, let's talk about uh, you fishing Clear Lake because, obviously, you're a, a Southern California, southwestern type of fisherman. Clear Lake, a little bit different fishing than uh, we see down here in in the south. Uh, uh, tell us about, uh, you know, getting aboard with FLW and uh, – Fishing uh, Clear Lake, and how you went about your pre-fish? Well, it's kind of ironic that this year uh, Costa Sunglasses took on, uh, you know, the FLW series, and uh, my boat's actually wrapped with Costa. Costa took me on in 2014 uh, because I came in second in the U.S. Open, and they just kind of kept me along, which has uh, been a great company, and they're a great sponsor, and they're really trying to make it here on the West Coast. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of great glasses around, but uh, Coast is probably the best eyeglass out there, bar none, you know. And so uh, that being said, uh, with Clear Lake, I've been fishing there a couple of times in uh, previous tournaments, one bass, uh, uh, Clear Lake Opens, and uh, a few of the FLW Everstarts and the Strand Series. And, you know, this year was kind of one of those years where I was thinking about whether or not I want to continue to do this, because I've never won a major tournament. This is the first win that I've had uh, in the 30-plus years I've been fishing. And uh, But what's nice about a lake like Clear Lake and the Delta is the fishing is usually phenomenal, and it usually takes about a minimum of, uh, you know, 20 pounds to make the top uh, cut. And sometimes it takes as much as 20 pounds a day to uh, make a check, you know. So with weights like that, you would – uh, as a bass fisherman, if you're going to fish a tournament, that's the place where you want to fish it, you know, Clear Lake or Delta. Uh, and so uh, I, I knew either way I was just there to have a good time. Um, however, you know, all the fish in that particular tournament seem to be on the community holes, you know, your county park, uh, state park, Robin Slough, uh, Nice, uh, and, and they were seem to be confined to the uh, north end of the lake. Uh, the uh, They had a huge shad spawn uh, in the past, this past year on the south end. And so it was really hard to catch fish unless they were spawning on the south end of the lake. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was kind of hard to fish, uh, fish around people. I don't like fishing around people. I don't like watching other guys catch fish. Uh, get in my <laughs> head. You know, it just, it's just one of those things where you just, you know, it just makes you fish different. You know, you want to know what the guy's using, you know, so you can change your bait. So, I decided uh, the day before the tournament that I was going to find an area that uh, didn't have a lot of boats. And I pulled up in an area in the Narrows, and just so happens uh, the first morning uh, I caught a four-pounder on the fifth cast. And then about 20 casts later, uh, I hooked a fish that was close to 12 pounds. 
And I got it all the way to the boat. You know, I was by myself, and I got ready to reach down and lift it, and it came off. And I thought, well, that's good. Maybe I'll catch that fish again during the tournament, you know. And I, with having that coastal wrap boat, I knew if anybody saw me, uh, you know, they would investigate what I was fishing. And so I pulled up my trolling motor and got out of there as quickly as I can. And I went to the next spot. And, uh, you know, and, and, and once I figured out the pattern, which uh, the pattern I actually got from uh, fishing with uh, or, or competing, there was a tournament the week before, a CTT tournament. And Kevin Stewart, I don't know if you know who he is, he's a Northern sure. California pro. He broke down, and uh, and I saw him, you know, the uh, second day of the tournament, and he said to me, hey, I'm broken down. Do you think you can uh, tow me in if, uh, you know, at the, at the weigh-in? I'm like, sure, no problem, you know. And after I told him in, he basically told me the date and how he was fishing, and that's kind of how I, you know, I, I kind of figured it out. And, you know, obviously uh, I didn't figure it out on my own. I, I had the, the area that I found to myself, but I do a lot of networking. You know, I have a lot of friends I can trust that I can call you know, week, two weeks, uh, you know, before the tournament, and it's completely legal, you know, depending on the organization that you fish. But FLW Coastal Series, they allow you to, uh, you know, get information as long as you don't barter or pay someone for info. So I always do my homework. Let me add a little bit to this, Todd. Sure. As a fishing professional myself, you – you can you get a lot of doc talk. Doc talk is free. You know, there's a lot yeah. of guys that come in. They tell you what they've done or what they do, and a lot of it's not correct. A lot of them are trying to misinform you, so they have a chance. They're not going to tell you the right thing. If you got a guy that's straight up with you and he tells you what he's doing or what he's catching the fish on, I don't care who you are because I do a lot of that myself. I'll tell the guy straight up, "This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm catching on." The trick is after that. You have to be talented enough to go out and put that information to work for you because it doesn't work unless you understand how to make it work. And that's the trick of this this whole sport is understanding, okay, I've got a little bit of knowledge. Let me go out and see if I can make that work for me because what you're going to do isn't the same thing. Todd's style of fishing is not my style of fishing and vice versa, but if you can take the knowledge, a little bit of knowledge, and, and take that and make it a tool for you and make it work, voila. But, you know, that you can give a lot of people the right information, and they can't turn that into, into money, which Todd was able to do. So I'm giving him a lot of credit for taking a little information and making it work for himself. Hey, Todd. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Go ahead. Todd, John. we got to take a break right now. Can you stay with us for another segment? I can yeah, that'll give us time to go back to the station because I made my guys pull over. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, get back to the station. You got a couple of minutes. You hey, we, All right, I'll be on hold. Thanks. All right, we are speaking with Todd Wood, professional firefighter and champion of the 2016 FLW Western Division Championships on Clear Lake. Uh, he won that last week. Stan and I and Todd Wood, hopefully, will be back after these messages. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey, everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those who are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity, we have twin six-ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook. Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. Hey, Stan and I are back, and we want to welcome back to Rod Real Radio Firefighter. And angler Todd Wood, he is the champion of the FLW Western Division Series at Clear Lake, won that title last week. And, Todd, if you're still with us, you must work for one heck of a group of guys that after going out on a call will pull over to the side of the road so you can uh, uh, do an interview with uh, uh, John and Stan on a Sunday night. (laughs) Well, I got to admit, it's, uh, you know, being a captain does have its perks. <laughs> <laughs> it always has and always will. Let me, let yeah. me give a little shout-out here, too. You, you mentioned Kevin Stewart, and I got Kevin Stewart is a friend also and is a straight-up guy. So I got to tell you, you know, when we were talking to guys on Doc Talk, they can steer you the wrong way. Kevin Stewart's a straight-up guy, and you helped him, and he helped you with some information. And that's what we were talking about before the break, that you could take some of the information that he gave you and then and then 
turn it into actual fish because you can tell people what you're catching them on and they can't catch them all day long. So going from there, let's go back to what you were talking about. Hey, well, you know, Kevin Stewart, we know Kevin Stewart. We've had him on the show before. As a matter of fact, I think it was my pleasure to hand him a $10,000 check at a uh, WN event that we ran on the Delta several years ago. So it's great to have information from a local guy like that. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, let's get back on to, to uh, you know, what you're doing. You, you found a pattern, and, you know, you know how, do you, how did that translate into – the actual tournament days of fishing? Well, the, the other concern that you have, like I said, I found the pattern the, the day before the tournament. And uh, the other concern, I, I take a lot of notes, and I leave a lot of reminders. It's understanding that the fish, it's never the same day by day. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Clear Lake, the Delta, Lake Mead, Lake Mojave, Havasu. It changes every day. So, yep. uh, like Stan said, even though I, had, I knew I had the right information, I was concerned that would it hold up where I was fishing for three days. And uh, the first day of the tournament, actually, uh, I started on that spot in the Narrows, and I caught a fish pretty much right off the bat, you know, and I started catching them, you know, here and there in one hour. And what I was using, I was actually using a, uh, a hitch-colored uh, five-inch bass tricks uh, hollow belly swim bait with a uh, uh, blade runner spin tricks gold head, and gold in color, and, and for some reason gold, works really well just about everywhere, but it seems to be really special in Clear Lake, and I'm not sure why, but it's just a good color. And a lot because of it's, the, it color, it's the color of the hitch. Yeah, but they weren't. But the fish actually weren't keen on hitch. They were, they were keen on spawning shad, and uh, one of the reasons why I knew that is because, uh, and this seems like it only happens during the spawn of shad, and when you're fishing a lure that looks like a shad, uh, you'll have shad following your bait back to the boat, you know, which was telling me that they were, you know, they were on the spawn, uh, there where I was fishing, and you had to, that bait had to hit the bottom, and that was that was part of the other deal. Kevin didn't tell me how to reel that bait in. I had to figure that out on my own, you know. And so you had to slowly crawl that. You had to hit something or give it a half a turn or, or make that bait change direction, and that's where most of the bites were coming. And it just seemed like, you know, I couldn't do anything wrong. It just about I say within every hour I had a fish between four and five pounds. And then I every once in a while I'd catch a seven or an eight pounder, and I mean it was one of those days where at one thirty I had the uh, the thirty two pounds uh, of the first day, and about at about one o'clock uh, I saw both came by me, kind of came in on me, and I thought he was getting kind of close, but uh, he, he wasn't getting close. What he was doing, he had found a fish on a bed near the area that I was fishing that I had no idea that the fish was there, and so uh, I later pulled up. You know, he never caught the fish that was on the bed, so I pulled up to it. I'm like, oh, there's a bed fish here. And one of them was a four-pounder, the male, and the female was about a seven-pounder. And I dropped my power poles right there on the spot, and it was real cloudy. We got some rain, a little bit of rain that day, and it got cloudy. But I could see every once in a while. And I can get the male to eat my bait. Oh, probably I got it to eat about 20 times. Well, it was four-pounders. I knew I didn't need it. But uh, I couldn't see it. Every one moment I couldn't see. And I threw my bait out there. My bait started swimming off. I set the hook, and I catch the male, a four-pounder. And I throw it back, and then it got real cloudy again. I couldn't see, so I picked up my power poles, started fishing again, and then another boat came in exactly on the bed spot like he knew where it was at also. Well, it turned out to be an Arizona pro, uh, uh, Vu Ah, and, you know, real nice guy. Well, as it turned out, he catches the mail and, you know, kind of yells out, Hey, Big Daddy, look at the mail. I go, Yeah, that one weighs four, too. And so he throws it in the live well, and uh, afterwards, you know, he starts working on a female. Well, he never caught the female, and... 
I left and caught an eight-pounder right after that. And then the very next, at the end of the day, I saw him. And I said, hey, did you catch that female? He said, no, I didn't catch it. I said, do you mind if I catch that fish tomorrow? You know, and because he, he was boat number three and I was boat number 49 the second day. And he said, well, how much weight did you have? I said, 32 pounds. He said, it's all yours. Because he knew no, I had a nice. to catch the fish. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's the kind of sportsmen we're, we're dealing with, uh, you know, in these tournaments. I mean, some, some, there's a few knuckleheads out there, you know, don't get me wrong. But well, there most are. of the guys are great, you know. Most of the guys are great. And they'll do, they'll, they'll, if you take care of them, they'll take care of you, you know. And so that's kind of been the key uh, for my success is I've never had, you know, I've, I've had some on-the-water issues just like everybody else. But for the most part, uh, you know, if you have the right attitude, you get them straightened out, and then uh, next thing you know, you're best friends with the guy. Yeah. You know? hey, uh, Todd, tell us about the last day of the tournament. Where did you stand, and how did you approach your fishing day there? Well, uh, uh, like I said, the first day I had the 32 pounds, which actually wasn't leading the tournament. There was a guy that had 33 pounds, uh, Jim Molden. And uh, and then I went out the second day and caught 27 pounds. You know, so, so the second day was almost as good as the first. I mean, you know, still catching uh, – well, I have almost a, uh, uh, you know, a pretty good average there, you know, almost a six-pound average. Yeah. You had four and so and the, fives and a six or an eight. Yeah, exactly. So the third day, I, I uh, you know, it was only the top ten boats fish. I'm leading the tournament. And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, there is no way those fish are still going to be there, you know. So I thought I'd hit some local spots real quick because there's only ten boats around. And the first three spots I went to, I never got a, I, I caught one little keeper, about 12 inches. And now the first two days, I caught three fish that were under two pounds, you know, out of the 20-something fish I caught. And, and uh, so now I'm running around trying to catch fish, and I probably caught 40 fish uh, probably under 13 inches, you know, the third day. And so I'm running around like a chick with my head cut off. Now, I never looked at – I only looked at the first two weights. I never really looked at what the guys had below me in the top ten. And so I knew that uh, I got a I got a phone call from a guy that basically told me to don't give up, you know, don't let don't let these guys get back into it, you know. In other words, clearly, you if you watch these weigh-ins, the last day there's usually some big changes. A guy will come in with 25, 30 pounds. Uh, in fact, Roy Hawk came in with 26 pounds. The guy the last day, uh, one of the uh, uh, co-anglers had 26 pounds. I think there was three bags over 20 pounds, but fortunately, none of them were a threat you know roy was the closest one and but anyway so i had like i had five fish for oh i'd say about seven pounds going into the last day oh, at man. noon yeah so i was hurting so uh, i had some fish on beds that i found that you know it was we had clear bluebird skies so i thought those fish would be easy for me to see so i ran to them i had about 15 fish on beds you know i ran to them ran to them and and they were all empty all the beds were empty there was a cold front that came through the water temperature dropped like three or four degrees so finally, I had one fish that was actually, because the Clear Lake the water level was so high, uh, even some of the boathouses were in the water. So I had really? a, a boathouse with a foundation behind it that had like a three-and-a-half-pounder uh, that was uh, still there. So Because it was actually in the shade, and that fish never left. So I dropped my power poles, tied to a, a pipe against the wall, and in 30 minutes, I ended up catching that fish. You know, what was crazy about the fish is I had to use the right bait I wanted to throw a drop shot in there, but I didn't because uh, there were so many trees around. So I just happened to keep pushing, pushing, pushing with the jig. And finally I got it to eat, and I got that fish in. So now I'm up to, oh, I'm thinking I'm up to about eight, eight and a half pounds. 
So I said, you know what, I'm going to run around. I ran around some more beds. They were empty. I finally went back to the spot where I caught the 12, you know, caught some fish on it the first day, and uh, caught a two-pounder, you know. So now I think I'm up to about nine pounds, eight and a quarter, somewhere around there. Uh, Keep fishing, keep fishing. I pull up to a dock. There was a bunch of fish suspended on the dock. Pulled up to another dock. There was a dock that had about 100 fish underneath it, literally. on the, And they were on the bottom. They weren't suspended. Those suspended fish were hard to catch, by the way. But these fish were yeah. actually on the bottom, you know. So we started pitching. My calling lure actually broke one of those fish off. Those fish were anywhere between 11 inches and 7 pounds. And my calling lure broke one off, and I caught two small fish from there. And I had about uh, – I had a 250 weigh-in, and at two, about 215, 220, um, I see the birds kind of diving on my original first day spot, but I didn't catch any on the second day. So I ran over there where the birds were diving and uh, started making some casts with my uh, swim bait. And uh, I, ha- I uh, you know, I fished it too fast because I'm in a hurry. You know, I'm, the, I'm just hurting. Like I said, I, I don't even think I have nine pounds. And the birds kind of looped back around behind me telling me that the baits here and the fish were here. They're really just kind of sending me a signal that I need to turn, a- turn the boat around and keep fishing. So I flipped the boat around, made a cast, and I caught a five-pounder. And so now, okay, I just blew the tournament. I should have been fishing this spot sooner. Uh, made a couple more casts, had about a five-pounder nip at my bait and missed my bait. Uh, made a couple more casts, and I now I'm thinking, how much time do I have left? So I took my Lawrence and measured out from where I was to the spot that I needed to be at the casino, and it was exactly not 6.98 miles away. So I figured, okay, at 60 miles an hour, I've got basically seven minutes to get back to the to launch. And so I told my co-angler, we're going to fish until we have 10 minutes left and we're going to take off. Well, at the 10th minute, um, I threw out and I never got another fish. And, but I, some, something told me that I'm going to catch a fish if I just hang out long enough. I said, we're going to go one more minute. So we got down to one minute. I got down to the last cast. I told my co this is the last cast. I get about halfway to the boat. I set the hook, and I catch a six-pounder, and I throw him in the well. All the stuff there, we got to go. <laughs> that's how I caught Don't you love those last cast fish? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, now, you're back at the me. weigh-in, Todd. How did they treat you at the weigh-in? I mean, uh, did you weigh in uh, in the middle, in the last? Were you on the hot no, seat no. or what? But, yeah, they, they put the first-place guy uh, to weigh in last, and uh, I was so upset at myself because I knew I blew the tournament. I kind of started – you know, we're, we're not really supposed to talk about how much weight we have, but, you know, I'm just wondering how close. To, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe I got second place with the fish that I caught, you know, the last day. And so I'm asking around, and uh, Hunter Hunter uh, from up north, I can't really pronounce this, I think it's Schreidler or something, but he was in 10th place. And he, he told me he caught him good. He told me he had about 25 pounds. And I, like I said, I didn't know how much weight I had on him, you know, and so – I pretty much thought, okay, well, they're second place. And then I found out Roy's got a nice bag. We, we were supposed to put our five-pounders in each, indi- indi- each individual bag, but um, they wanted some suspense. So we really they said, okay, if you're comfortable with putting all your fish in one bag, then put them all in one bag. And uh, I think Hunter and Roy were the only two guys that actually got more than one bag. And so I was, I was really, really, really nervous. Yeah. I mean, it, that. I think the they weighed the co-anglers in first, and then when that co-angler that won it, uh, Sergio had uh, uh, 26 pounds, I believe, the last day to win the Clayton division. I'm like, well, if he caught 26 pounds, how much did his pro catch? No kidding. You know, so I just I just assumed, you know, that that somebody was going to beat me, you know. 
And uh, so when I so when it got to the end, and I actually I've got the video on my Facebook page. When it got to the end, and they you know and they crowned me, they told me I needed. Uh, I knew I won when they told me I needed seven pounds to win. That's what I knew I won. Oh and my so, gosh! Great. You know, yeah. So I so as I was pulling fish out, and they congratulated me. I was like, you know, most of these tournaments, you see guys jump up and down and and you know do the fist pump and everything. I was actually in in like dismay and disbelief and just kind of in shock that I had somehow pulled this this off, you know. And so for me, it was like a it was a religious experience. It was like God had orchestrated the whole last day, you know. Obviously, you know, to catch thirty two pounds, he probably had something to do with that too. But the last day right. was. Well, you know, was orchestrated by the Lord. I, I you know, I, I, that's all I can say as far as how that went. Well, Todd, you know, what a fantastic weekend of fishing! Tell us uh, before we let you go over here, who are the sponsors that have stood behind you and helped you get to where you are today? Well, I was hoping you would never ask. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of sponsors. Uh, uh, Costa Sunglasses is my title sponsor. Uh, Rick Grover at Anglers Marine. Uh, He's been a great sponsor to me. I've always bought my products from him. Nitro Boats, uh, Rick Emmett, uh, Mercury Marine, uh, Kevin Linehan, Bass Pro Shops, Daiwa Rod and Reels, Kurt Alcala, Sims Fishing Products, C-Spin Lures, Ed Chin, uh, Bass Tricks Lures is one of my first sponsors and probably one of my you know greatest lure sponsors, both Bass Tricks and Blade Runner Lures with Rick Teeth, High Seas Fishing Line, uh, Tough Line, uh, Peregrine, both cleaning products. If you guys need to clean your boat, you got to use Peregrine. Uh, uh, that's Roger over there, Roger Laku. G Money Jigs, G Money Nation. That's Trey Williams, Gary Yamamoto Custom Baits. Everybody's familiar with the Cinco, probably one of the best inventions in the world. Uh, Ron Colby and Heidi Roth take great care of me there. Pro Tungsten Weights, and uh, last but not least, Old Happy Grips, and that's basically these uh, soft grips that really. Uh, give you comfort. They're called. They, they give you comfort when you cast a little trigger on your rod. It's not a very expensive product, but it's a great product if you're going to be fishing five, six, or seven days in a row. And uh, of course, my family, my wife Jennifer, uh, Johnny, Jeffrey, Micah. My mom is a great support. My sister is a great support. And my dad passed away about three years ago. And uh, every time I called him to tell him that that I had a check in a tournament or I did pour, he was just always, always rooting me on. So there you go. Uh, oh. I appreciate what great. you guys are doing for me. This is great. Great job, my friend. I am way proud of you, buddy. <laughs> it, it, appreciate it. Great. You know, Todd, your perseverance. I mean, this is uh, uh, your first trip into cashing in the big ticket, and I've got a feeling it's not going to be your last. Well, you know, I hope not. They say your first win is your hardest one by far, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and my new model that I've come out with that, uh, you know, that I came up with, you know, thinking about all this this stuff that people say, you know, they can't take the win away from you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my deal is you cannot understand how to win a tournament until you've won a tournament. And so now that I've won that tournament, I feel like, well, at least I at least have a little bit of understanding, uh, you know. And, and everybody needs to just fish something, whether it's if they like to fish, you know, fish at the club level. Uh, there's a circuit that, uh, it's a worldwide circuit called IFBBA. It's the International Federation of Black Bass Anglers. It's all about bass fishing. And basically, they have tournaments all over the world, including Cuba. Uh, I mean, it's incredible the different places they go. You know, so, and it's not very expensive. It's team tournaments. It costs you like 200 bucks for entry. 
and they have some great prizes. And they're also they're sponsored by Bass Pro Shop, so Bass Pro Shop gets like ten thousand dollars first places on a two hundred dollar entry fee. So All right. you know, there's a lot of great organizations out there. Well, Todd, we want to thank you again for giving up some of your uh, Sunday night to be with us and, and thank the guys there in the station house uh, for working with us, too, on uh, getting you on. We we look forward to talking to you in the not-too-distant future and also fishing with you because we've had the chance to do that, too. Thanks a lot, and congratulations. Appreciate it, and I look forward to showing some pictures of some tuna that I plan on catching this year because I'm going to do some saltwater fishing this year. Well, you oh, come buddy, on. I can help you with that. Yeah, come on down and contact us. I think we we know how to get that done. Hey, listen, uh, Stan and I are going to be back after these messages, but Stan has gotten a hold of some of his contacts up into the Sierras and gotten a report together on how the opener was for the trout season up there. So after these messages, stay tuned. There's a lot more Rod and Reel Radio to come. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, bass fishermen, who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-227. 7262 or just spell bass boat 1-800 bass boat i know there's too many letters but the t is free and the calls on me that's 1-800 bass boat the choice of the pros for bass boat insurance for more information log on to 1-800 bassboat.com my angler h2oth like the mighty flounder i will keep one eye on the pole and the other watching for rogue waves i'll save water by taking shorter showers and enthusiastically celebrate talk like a pirate day i I will chat up the locals before launching in unfamiliar waters. And I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. Hey, Stan and I want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. And before Stan gives his report, we want to remind you, it's going to be a tremendous season here in Southern California when it comes to go out and get tuna and all the things that we experienced last year. But don't wait until the last minute. Get a hold of H&M Landing, 619-222-1144. Book uh, Sea Adventure Sports Fishing, uh, uh, Chris Randall on the Chief, Bobby Taft on the, uh, the Top Gun 80. Uh, they're the guys we like to go out for. But whatever you do, get yourself booked on a trip because it's going to be a phenomenal season. 
Well, Stan, you got a hold of some of your contacts and found out just exactly what was happening up in the Sierras for the opener. Take it away and let us know what do you know that we don't. Well, I, I made the phone call to the group of guys that I know, all my friends up there in the Sierras that I fish against in our, our annual uh, trout fishing uh, event called Fat It. But uh, I first called up to uh, Robert up there at uh, Lower Twin Resort, Bridgeport Resort. Uh, Lower Twin traditionally is, Lower Twin Lakes of Bridgeport is traditionally where the big fish come out of right off the bat and every year. And they didn't let us down. <laughs> they got a, a 10 pound, point, 10, uh, ounce brown, uh, to, to lead the pack out of the opening day. So you got a 10, 10 brown. They got another one that was 9, 7 right behind it. Wow. Um, another one that was 6 even, uh, right behind that one. All of them were, were trolling. That's been the, uh, the key actually was, it usually is for the uh, opener. Uh, they had good fishing. Um, they were all trolling Rapalas, uh, that F9 to F13 Rapala floating. Uh, Rapala is what they use up there in a lot of different colors. They, they did not want the rattle. Normally they fish a, uh, Yuzori bait with a rattle, the silver with that dark blue back because it represents the kokanee. Well, they were not on that kokanee bait. They were on, um, the standard Rapalas with the, the black or the orange or the rainbow trout colors. <clears throat> they had a lot of rainbow trout that were weighed in underneath the brown trout there. They had a 610, a 614, a 68, a 5.6, and a 414 that were reported to the uh, Twin Lakes report, I mean, the Twin, Twin Lakes Bridgeport uh, lower dock there when they weighed in, but a lot of them did not come uh, get weighed in there. They went back down into town at Bridgeport. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, all the bait fishermen on the shore uh, used, it was like garlic bait is one of the number one baits up there, the power garlic bait. And the night crawler, if you're, if you're fishing the Sierras and you want good fish, those are the two things you're going to have to use. But traditionally, that lower twin, uh, up at Bridgeport, upper, tw- upper twin and lower twin produce really big fish, and then and they got a lot of them in there. But people don't usually go up there and troll the bigger Apollos. But if you're going to go to uh, Bridgeport, you want to stop by Lower Twin Resort. I'll give you a, a phone number to call and talk to Robert or Keith. It is seven six zero nine three three seven seven five one, and they can hook you up with what's going on there. If you go back down into town, if you're going into Bridgeport proper, you got to stop at Ken's Sporting Goods because that's bet. on the right-hand side just as you go in town or, I mean, as you're coming into town right next to the, the courthouse. And, by the way, the oldest courthouse in the California is right there. But go in and talk to Jim Reed and his gang. They said, it, it, like everybody else, it was really good fishing in the morning, uh, opening day on Saturday. They, if you went down to the reservoir, the reservoir is three quarters of the way full, which it hasn't been for a while, so that's really good. Trolling was the best. Again, it was Rapalas. And a lot of guys are flatlining the Rapalas there, uh, as opposed to if you go up to the upper lakes, they give you two or three or four colors down before you start to do that and a lot of jerking going on. But they were flatlining the Rapalas with these just monofilament way back behind the boat. They used the smaller Rapalas on the on uh, the reservoir, the number fives or sevens, and uh, the big fish there was a nine point nine brown. They had a lot of six and sevens that were that were weighed in down in town, 
I mean, six and seven pound fish. They said several that nice. came from the upper lakes that they didn't weigh in up there. So if you're going to go into town, if you're in Bridgeport, stop at Ken's Sporting Goods. Talk to Jim Reed and his boys. Find out where to go and what to throw because they'll be on it and they can tell you what to do. Sunday uh, is, was, I mean, everybody that I talked to today up there said Saturday was good in the morning. It tapered off on on the afternoon. But they had inclement weather, it was blowing and, and kind of snowing and not not real good. Well, when that happens, the fish bite better. When it started to clear up, the fish kind of quit. This morning it got real clear. So their Saturday fishing was good. It got really better later in the afternoon, later in the evening, and then tapered off this morning because it was brighter. What happens is those fish go deeper, and everybody's used to catching them a shallow, and, and they weren't there. So that's happened. Uh, that happened up at Lower Twin. It happened at, at the reservoir. The guys, there wasn't much bait fishing from the reservoir. What was caught and the reservoir on bait was mostly on night crawlers and some of the garlic baits. Called June Lake Loop. Got a hold of Don at June Lake proper. Um, there were several six-pound rainbows caught. Um, the biggest was 8.75. It ate a Berkeley minnow, and I don't know what kind, but uh, and it was close to the reeds up along the edge of, of June Lake there. Lots of threes and four pounds in a, that were cutthroats. A lot of cutthroats were being caught this year, which is pretty unusual, but the cuts seem to be up and moving with the amount of water that's moving in. If you were trolling in Saturday morning, they, wanted, they were color, trolling only four colors deep, uh, that, again, they don't like the big, the bigger uh, Rapalas there, the five to seven uh, pound, I mean, uh, number five or number seven uh, uh, Rapalas and brown trout were working the best. They like the countdowns in three to fives, too, if you want the small, little smaller one. The countdown one sinks. But trolling in the a.m. and then switch to bait in the afternoon, they said it was a lot better. Power bait, again, they want that rainbow pile. Uh, power bait and or the natural garlic, that new stuff that's out. Uh, a garlic is always great in the Sierras for whatever reason. Saturday they were trolling as deep as, as uh, I mean, four, only four colors deep. On Sunday, the guys that were catching them, they had to go because it cleared up. They were ten colors to catch their fish. Uh, a lot of Rapalas, the Thomas Boyants, and the Castmasters came into play on that. It was, uh, it was again, the uh, troll in the morning and bait in the afternoon. Called up to Crowley Lake and got a hold of Abby and, and Adam up there, and, and they had stellar fishing again, and the fish moved up shallow on them. We were thinking they were going to go deep because the lakes come way up, almost full, and a lot of times when that happens, your fish stay at that 20-foot depth or whatever it was that came up 20-foot because there's nothing in that other area that just filled up quickly over the last little bit, but there's been no ice on the lake, so... Uh, they had windy conditions, kind of kind of lousy conditions outside and cold, but it was pretty good fishing. Um, most of the better fishing was done in a boat. Uh, the trolling was the best by far. They said only one to two colors deep. Uh, the Rapalas, the mirror shads, and some of that stuff that, that, that is bright. Uh, pinks and oranges worked a lot, uh, some of the best colors to, to catch them. And, again, the cutthroats were leading the – the pack there at Crowley Lake, lots of fives. I mean, lots of them. Um, they had a 575. That was a big fish, a 557, a 5.6, several fours to fives, 
lots of that three to five pound fish were being caught by the people in in numbers. They didn't have any real big fish caught at Crowley. They said some of the guys were that they had lost them, but again, in the mornings they were fishing two to four colors. If you're trolling, the flat line again came back into play. Uh, they like a little bigger Rapala there. Um, so if you fish that that number eleven or even the number thirteen Rapala, that fish is not uh, afraid to hit it if you're going to catch big ones. Beautiful uh, on uh, Sunday, and the fish kind of slowed off a little bit. But they said the average size fish there uh, is way up from what it, it is in the rest of the Sierras. They're looking at a fourteen, in, at least fourteen or fifteen inch fish average, and a lot of fish, especially the cutthroats, from four to five pounds. So they had a really great opener, a ton of fun. If you're going to go up to Crowley, give them a call. Uh, you can line up boats there to go fishing. They'll tell you what to do if you go into the Crowley Fish Camp and go into the, uh, the the little store there. You can call them at 760-935-4301 and uh, ask them what to do. And if you're going to bring your boat up there, you got to go through the quagga inspection there, and um, it'll take you a couple minutes, but you can put your boat in and fish there, and, and that's where you're going to have your best shot of catching big ones unless you want to go up to Bridgeport and fish the upper and lower twin so that's the report great report stan consensus of opinion are a lot of these bigger fish are they holdovers or are they stocked or or a mixture of both well a lot of that cutthroat that they've been putting in crowley they're they're holdovers from last year they didn't have a whole lot of people going up because of whatever reason but they're starting to see more and more people but the cutthroats they grow big, and they're going to be. You're going to see eight to ten pound cuts coming out of Crowley nice. this year, uh, along with the big brown trout that they've got. And that's, I, I'll guarantee you that that ten pound fish is not going to be the big one for the year up there. All right, Stan, that's it for tonight. Thanks for a great report, and not only that, thanks for a great show. A lot of fun, a lot of great information tonight. Well, my pleasure, guys. All right. Best wishes for big fishes, everybody. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks a lot for being with us. Uh, we want to thank Jorge in the AM 540 studios, Ben Harvey, our local producer here in San Diego, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McEwen that left us this heritage, which is what we call Rod Real Radio. We want to thank you, the listeners, for being with us on Sunday night. We invite you to come back and join us next Sunday night at 5.05 p.m. on AM 540. If you missed any of the show, you can go to rodandreelradio.com, listen to it on the archive page, or you can download it on your favorite iPod uh, app. So on behalf of Stan, Wendy, and the whole gang, hey, get out there and get them because it's going to be a great fishing season. We're starting it right now. You don't want to miss one minute of it. So on behalf of everyone, good night, everyone. We'll see you on the water. We're out for now. Keep safe. I'm real gone, man. You ain't working anymore.